Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and thank you for listening. And as I tell you every week, everything you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, as far as the interviews are concerned, originated on my SiriusXM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation, and it's heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, on Faction Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 103, or anytime on the Sirius XM app, full shows to listen to on demand. So if you can't listen in the live window, you can always pull it up on demand and listen whenever you want. Appreciate you doing so. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, which means you can get Sirius XM and you're only listening to the podcast, you're only getting a fraction of what I do live on the radio every day. Wish, uh, giving you the opportunity, if you're not already on board with me on SiriusXM, to come on board because you can get three months totally free. All you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk, no credit card required, and you can sample either th- over the air or through the app and hear what goes on every day and uh, sample the full show. Thank you for doing so. Again, SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. No credit card required. Hope you come on board and join me for Trunk Nation every day. So we've got uh, social media out there for you as well to connect at Eddie Trunk, Twitter or X, Facebook page, Instagram. Be sure to follow. And also, if you're listening to this on post day, which is Thursday, the 15th of February, 2024, tomorrow... I will be in Norco, California, doing a speaking Q&A show. And that on that one, I'll be joined by Phil X of Bon Jovi. It's at Rockstars of Tomorrow. And again, it's going down tomorrow. If you're listening on post day, which would be the 16th of February. And then on the 17th, this coming Saturday, join me at the Gas Lamp. And that's in Long Beach, California doing a speaking and Q&A show as well. So hope to see you if you are in those areas. Um, What do we have for you this week? We got two interviews. We're going to start with Journey drummer Dean Castronovo. Journey has a huge amount of touring coming up this year, including a co-headline run with Def Leppard once again. Dean also called in to talk about his band Revolution Saints. He's a guy with a lot of energy, a great attitude. He's been through a lot in his life. He's done jail time. We talk about it all in the interview. Great singer, great drummer. Dean Castronovo starts us off. And second this week, Biff Byford, lead singer of the legendary British metal band Saxon. They have a new album out and some U.S. dates coming up. And we talked to Biff about all of that. So we'll start with Dean. We'll uh, go second with Biff. 
a nice long double dip for you on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Let's get it started with the voice and drummer. Well, one of the voices, he occasionally does sing lead vocal in the band, and drummer in Journey, Dean Castronovo. Enjoy. How are you, buddy? I am great, brother. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You, uh, you're staying busy wearing a lot of hats as usual, right? Yes, sir. You got to Got to keep busy. I get bored at home, bro. I mean, I love my family and all, but <laughs> I live on the road, man. This is my home. I'm in Nashville now. We're starting rehearsals in about three or four days and, and uh, starting a tour with Toto and going to be busy all, um, all springtime with them and then out with Def Leppard. It's going to be amazing, man. Amazing year. It's uh it's a it's amazing. I mean, I know you've been uh you're in journey now, of course, and you do a great job in that band, your second tour of duty with them, but uh yeah. it, it's got to even amaze it's got to even amaze you, I would think, Dean, at uh what journey has rebuilt into in the last 10 years or so. I mean, it's just crazy how how uh how big the songs have become to a whole new generation. You must pick up on a lot of that at the shows, I would think, right? Oh, dude, yeah, you see generations, you see kids, and then you see, you know, people my age and people older than me as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 60 this year. So, you know, you've got an entire gamut. You're running the gamut of, of fans now. And, uh, you know, you still got Don't Stop Believing, still the number one most, download song, so, <laughs> most downloaded song in history, I guess. That's what they say. But, I mean, we're, it's just we're fortunate, dude. We really are. I mean, not a lot of the bands in the 80s have, have been able to, to do what we've done. And, and I think it's a lot of it is, is Neil. I mean, he's just, he's a workaholic and he's, he's got a really good sense of what works and what doesn't. And, and, you know, he's our, our leader. So, you know, we just follow him. <laughs> how, how long has it been now that you've been back in the band now, this second uh, run with you for journey? When did you rejoin again? Uh, uh, July 19th of uh, 2021. So been here a couple of years. This is my third year. Uh, third year back so yeah it's been great bro i'm i mean who in a million years would have thought that i would have been able to come back and and, and be with my bros you know and play the music that i grew up with and i love i mean i'm very fortunate i i don't take it for granted definitely don't and you can tell man that comes across because i saw you since you've been back i saw journey since you've been back in the band i was at uh uh, in Vegas, it was probably about a year ago, year and a half ago. I saw you briefly. I was sitting with Neil talking for a little bit. But I got to tell you, when you watch the band, and you in particular, you're back there, man, and you are smiling the whole time. <laughs> you know, you, you, oh, you're, you're, you're just so – you can see it. You can feel it. Oh, dude, total restoration. I mean, just, you know, getting off the drugs, getting my stuff together, and, and, and working again and, and doing what I love. I mean – you know, a lot of people don't get to do what they love to do and, and make a living doing it. And, oh, yeah, you know, you've had it taken away, you know, because of some stupid decision of choice. And, and you get that second chance, man. You do nothing to screw that up. And, yeah, it is. It's a perpetual state of gratitude every night, you know, every day. Every morning I wake up, I'm like, okay, number one, I'm alive and I'm breathing. That's a good thing. And then I get to play and do what I love. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I'll never take it for granted ever again. Can, can Dean, can you, are you okay talking about that at all? Like what you went through, because I think it's inspirational. It shows that if you can turn your life around, you can, you know, there is hope to get a whole nother lease on life. And you've gotten that more ways than one career wise. And like you said, with your own health and personal well being. can, can you talk about that process, how tough it was for you? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I, it was, you know, I had a domestic suit from my wife and police were called. I was, uh, I was, pretty messed up, man. I was on a 26 day run on drugs. 
Uh, I don't remember a lot of it. Um, I remember being in jail for 15 days, which scared the hell out of me. I mean, that scared me straight. That freaked me out. I'd never been in jail before. So that was pretty heavy. Um, so, yeah, it was like I took two years off. I said, I'm not touching any drums. I'm not doing any music. I just need to focus on getting my life together. So, I, you know, I did that. I'd get offers. I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready. And it was the Dead Daisies, actually, and Serafino as well, uh, you know, doing Revolution Saints, saying, let's, let's come back. And then the Dead Daisies, you know, uh, uh, asking me to join. And that was huge. I thank David Lowy and David Edwards for that. Uh, a ton and Doug Aldrich for bringing me in, you know? Um, so yeah, it was tough, but you know what? It, it, it needed to be done, man. I was, I would have been dead. I mean, honestly, I mean, the amounts of drugs I was, you know, taking in should have killed a rhino, bro. I mean, I was a mess. So, uh, I'm grateful today every day, you know, and, you, know you get slip ups, you, you screw up, you come back, but that was the last time for me, man. I was done. I was done. So here I am, man, doing what I love. I mean, it's a blessing. It really is, bro. And Dean, again, if I'm getting too personal here, I mean, just tell me, I, I, I totally get it. But I think this stuff is important to talk about because we got a lot of young musicians and people in bands that do have these struggles. And when I have artists on that tell me, tell everybody how they came out the other side and here you are, you got your great gig back in journey again, but you, you know, you were in a bad way for a long time. The drugs that you were doing and the issues that you were having, I mean, what were you doing and was it always a problem for you in your life or was it one period in your life where you turned to that and made that mistake? Well, you know, for me, I, I was, uh, when I joined Bad English, I was clean as a whistle. I wasn't doing anything. Uh, you know, I was, I was just a, a new kid and I was playing, doing what I loved. And, and it was actually when I got fired from Ozzy that I just took a, a turn for the worst. I started drinking. And then, of course, when you're drinking, well, why not have some cocaine with that drink? And then the, the cocaine was burning the crap out of my nose and my vocal cords. And I'm like, oh, why don't I just smoke it? So I started smoking crack. So, you know, it, it just progressively got worse and worse. And when I joined Journey, you know, there was, there was times when I would stop. That was my worst enemy, man, having, uh, you know, being a partner in the band and, and making great money and having a lot of time on my hands. And my family went through hell, dude. I mean, trying to get me, you know, straight, the band, you know, trying to get me straight. And, uh, you know, on the road, I'd be perfect. I would bring my A game. I wouldn't touch a thing. It was when I came home that it, it was on, and it was on hard. Uh, and this last one, man, it, it threw me for a loop. I mean, it, I mean, it woke me up. I, I had to hit below bottom. Literally, I was below bottom crawling my way up to bottom. Uh, so, yeah, you, you don't want to go there. I mean, everybody says, oh, don't do drugs. I mean, I'm living proof, man. You'll lose it all. It's, it, you, the next step for me, Eddie, would have been death. I mean, I was at death's door. I was 153 pounds. I mean, I was dying, you know, and, and here I am, you know, 25 pounds heavier, feeling good. But, you know, got muscle working out now. So, you know, it, it's been you had to change my, my entire life. I had to turn it around and change my life. And it's not just the drugs, bro. Drugs are a symptom. Of, of underlying problems. I had a pretty shitty childhood. Pardon my language. I don't know if I can say that or not. No, you can, you can curse. It's fine. You can say it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I had, a, I had a pretty crappy childhood, you know, it was, it was not easy. Picked out a lot and, and, um, you know, issues that, you know, I don't want to talk about there, but yeah, it was pretty rough dude. So, you know, I was numbing because I didn't like who I was, you know? And, uh, at the end there, bro, I, I, I didn't even care. I was like, going, look, look, God, if you just, just let me take this hit and die. I don't even care. Cause I can't stop. I cannot stop. And I was praying for death bad for real. Like, just make it not painful. God, wow. just take me home, you know, but yeah, you got that bad, bro. I'm just grateful to be on the other side. 
you know, and, and you can do it. You just gotta, you gotta to work the program. You've got to really have good people around you. You got to get away from the, the bad people that, you know, the people that are yes men and, and want to party with the drummer for journey and stuff like that. And, and it's, again, it's been an up and up and down battle, but uh, here I am today and I'm grateful, man. I am grateful today. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, you know, what's interesting about what you said, Dean, is that most artists that I talk to, they say the problems where the demons come into play, if they have those demons is on the road. You're saying your situation was the opposite. You were good on the road, but when you got home is when you turned to the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. I, I always wanted to be, I wanted to bring my A game. I wanted to be the best I could be, you know, not, not just for the fans, but for Neil and, and the band, you know, it was like family to me. And I always wanted, that was my self-esteem. You know, nobody could take that away from me. They could say, Oh yeah, he's ugly or whatever. He's fat or he's, you know, stupid, whatever they could say about me, whatever they did, you know, they couldn't say, well, he's a shitty drummer and he can't sing his way out of a paper bag. They could never take that away from me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the best I can be. But then coming home, it's like, wow, I just made a killing. You know, I'm going to go buy a bunch of cars and party on. And, it, you know, my poor wife, I mean, Didi went through hell. Uh, you know, the kids uh, went through hell. And the grandkids went through hell. And my mother and father. And, and you come on the other side and you look at that and just go, God, what a selfish, selfish life. Really selfish life. And uh, it's, it's selfless now. I'd say, you know, I'm doing my, what I can to help people. Um, uh, trying to do the right things. I mean, after I'm done with this stuff, I'm going to. Uh, going to prisons and, and talk, you know, to people uh, about this, you know, just give them my story and say, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be death. You don't have to die. You don't have to be thrown in jail, you know, and, but it's not easy to get off. It's, you've got to have the right people and um, you got to have that motivation. And me losing my job was a big motivation, dude. And seeing what I did to my family, the wreckage after the, after you got sober, you see the wreckage and just go, my God, what did I do? What was I thinking? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And it was horrible mm. to see the pain I uh, caused the band, uh, the legacy, uh, my family mostly, just seeing them, you know, humiliated by my actions. It's, <laughs> I don't ever do that to my kids again, my wife, my family, ever again, ever again. We're, we're, we're going to talk about Revolution Saints here, but did, did um, in a second, but did, was, um, when, when you were offered the gig in Journey again, after you endured all this and you came out the other side, was that a big conversation with Neil? Did he really need assurances that you were going to be able to hold it together and that you were, uh, you were healthy now? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it, I, I alleviated his fears when we did uh, uh, Journey Through Time and he saw me again and, and it was in 2019 and he could tell, okay, he's, he's back. Uh, and I, you know, I, of course I have to reassure him. I mean, and that's what I do every night. I reassure him, but when I'm at home, I'm making sure I'm doing the right things and, and staying in touch with him. You know, usually when I, when I go away, when you don't hear from me, something's wrong. And, and he knows that he knows me so well. So he's like, Hey man, how you doing? He always checks in John too. John Kane always checks in. Arnell always checks in Todd, Jason. They're always there, man. And it, it happened. The funny thing was though, it happened. Uh, my mother had passed away on the 20th at 1159 and uh, I was just heartbroken and uh, I, I was basically up and down all night and I got a text at like seven in the morning from Neil saying, bro, we're doing Lollapalooza. Um, uh, we need a second drummer, you know, um, uh, not just having some issues with the songs, learning the songs. I mean, there was just some stuff going on and, and I said, of course I will, bro. Just give me a day or two. Mom just passed away last night. Of course they gave me those two days and, I flew out the day I came in, man. It was just tears. I was in tears. Like, 
what in the world just happened? Mom had something to do with that, I think. But uh, mm. yeah, it was it was heavy. And and coming back, um, like again, you know, it's a dream come true. I'm grateful every day, and you know, I can't say it enough, dude. You don't know what it's like again to lose something that major for so many years, and just one day, boom, you just killed the whole fucking thing. It's like, yeah, wow, yeah. Man. Did did, wow, did you yeah. um when when your your time in Ozzy was brief, if I recall, you are you on the Osmosis record? Is that when you were in there? Yeah, I did the the uh, the rehearsals uh, the re- and the recording, and I did the South American tour. And, and Ozzy just the chemistry wasn't right, I guess, from what Ozzy said. He just wasn't he wasn't feeling it for me, and, and I got it, you know. But it was hard because I thought, well, I'm done. I'm that's it. You can't get any bigger than Ozzy. I mean, really, you can't. At that time, it was right off of No More Tour or No More Tears. So, yeah, it was heavy, and uh, I, I kind of just went, man, I'm just gonna numb. I I hate myself. I don't know what I did exactly, but. You know, it was just not good. And, um, yeah, it, it took me down. I just had my self-esteem just dropped, dropped. And and you said that uh, really the thing that set you straight was those 15 days in jail. That I mean, that oh, is yeah. just uh, – I imagine that's going to put anybody, you know, shake a little reality oh. into anybody, I would think. Oh, dude, for me, I, like I said, I've never seen a jail cell. And, and it, it scared the hell out of me. I really did. I just have to like, like what in the hell? I've still got PTSD issues from that, dude. I mean, it's, I would, me I would think, yeah. <laughs> did people, did yeah, you so get, no. did you get messed with in, in jail? Did, did the other no, you inmates know, mess with they you? Put me in, well, they put me in protective custody because the day I came out of general pop, I came out for breakfast and um, there was a line of people wanting autographs. I'm like, oh, this is not. Are you serious? Know. Yeah, dude. They was, knew you were the really, drummer from Journey. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of. Well, I'm in my hometown, and and it was a small town, and uh, it was small jail, and everybody knew who I was, and it was just, it was. Just, I was just like, God. So they stuck me in protective custody. So I was in the jail cell 23 hours a day. I came out to take a shower, call my kids, call my wife, and uh, yeah, that that was my day for 15 days. When I got out, I couldn't wait to get into treatment. I could not wait, and I stayed there for 90 days, dude. I, I stayed in there for 90 days. I didn't want to leave. I was like, this is, this is safe because I didn't want to deal with the public after that, you know, the humiliation of it all. And um, so I just, I basically, when I got out, man, I dug in and, uh, you know, just stayed with family and, and went to meetings and did what I had to do, you know, just to get through and, and not have to, to really deal with, with the public of it, you know, the, the publicity of it, because that was, that was worse I think than anything, just, just hearing about this stuff and hearing what people were saying was like, damn, man, you know, pretty rough. Woke me right the hell up. <laughs> did, did, did Dean, last thing on this, then we'll talk about revolution saints. Did you, um, you, you had said that you went right into, you went right into jail from what everything you went through, um, you know, and everything that happened, but you, and then you went into rehab for 90 days. So I'm assuming those 15 days in jail, must have been like cold turkey rehab because you weren't getting anything oh. in jail, right? So that oh, had to exactly. be another so thing that sleeping. made it really hard. Dude, I was, yeah, I was sleeping a lot, dude. It was, I was exhausted. I mean, I'd been up, like I said, 26 days. I was out of it, oh, you know, um, and that was on meth. So, you know, I was just out of my brain. So, yeah, it was a lot of sleeping. And then when, you know, once I got into treatment, uh, it was like, okay, I, I was ready to work, do whatever it, it took, you know, all the classes, all the groups, didn't miss stuff, went in there and, and worked hard, you know, and, and it became 
you know, there's a few of them still that I still are in touch with that are really close friends and, and always will be. Um, but yeah, dude. And then after I got out of treatment, it was, you know, meetings and, and, uh, you know, meeting new people and, and changing, you know, my environment. Basically I had to change, you know, who I was hanging with and, and the people that I was around. And I have some great friends in town that are, you know, that are, that are still, you know, on my side. So here I am today, bro. Living and breathing. Well, I'm That's glad. Matters, I'm really. glad, man. Congrats Thanks, to you. I mean, it's an amazing story, and I'm glad you came out the other side so strong. You ever think about writing a book? Uh, you know what? People have approached me, and I'm like, I can't throw people under the bus. So, no, I ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm just right. you know, good, good for you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not one of those guys, dude. I'm not going yeah, to shove this guy in. It's like, you right. know what? My life is my personal thing, and my journey through it, and no pun intended. You know, I don't mind talking about that. But, you know, people, yeah, book companies, they want the dirt. Publishers want yep. the dirt. And I'm not going there. I'm not going to trash anyone, you know, because I've been trashed. You, you don't know what it feels like to be trashed like I was. It was gnarly, bro. I, well deserved. Don't get me wrong. Most of that stuff was deserved. I mean, the shit I pulled was was off the off the hook. But, you know, hey, uh, I'm not going to go back there. And, and you know, I'm just going to walk in love. Treat people with love and respect, you know, and usually you get that back. Yeah, well, good for you, man. So you you're here with a new Revolution Saints record. This one called "Against the Winds," and I had Joel Hoekstra on the show about a week ago. We talked a little bit about this record. Then uh, you, the, a new lineup for the band. Previous in previously, the band consisted of you, Jack Blades, and Doug Aldridge, and now uh, for this record, you've got Joel Hoekstra on guitar, Jeff Pilson on bass. Tell me about the change, uh, bringing these guys in and the other guys leaving and putting this record together. Well, you know, Doug it was so dug into the Dead Daisies, which was great. And, and Jack, of course, Night Ranger. And the schedules weren't permitting. And I know we all wanted to play uh, live, but we could never get it together. And uh, Doug was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on Dead Daisies. Jack, of course, Night Ranger. So it was Serafino and Doug. I mean, D Doug was the one that, that recommended Joel to Serafino. And um, so Joel came in and, and uh, of course, Jeff, I've, I've known both those guys forever. Cause I was on the road with foreigner with journey and night ranger with journey. And that Joel was in night Ranger, or uh, Joel was in um, yeah. Night ranger and Jeff and foreigner. So we all became really close. So it was kind of a no brainer. I mean, the chemistry with Doug and Jack and I was undeniable. It really was. And I miss those guys terribly. I love those guys. Um, and their contribution was unbelievable. Uh, but these guys stepped right in, man. Big shoes to fill, and they stepped right in, and, and we kind of went in a different direction, a little heavier direction, you know, not so poppy journey-ish, you know. It was it, it came it came you know kind of full circle with more of a almost like a deep purple white snake vibe, you know. And that I love that, you know. So now I'm not trying to sing or having to sing a lot like Steve Perry. I can try and be more like me, and I'm still learning, bro. I'm not a lead singer. I'm a drummer that has just it was kind of thrust upon me. So. I'm I'm trying to get my my own voice per se, and you got guys like Jeff Scott Soto, Arnell, you know that they have their own thing. You know Johnny Giuwelli, you know a lot of these great singers, they have their own style. I'm just now trying to figure out who the hell I am as a singer. You know, so I'm just you know, and thank God for Alessandro and Johnny Giuwelli for helping me produce. You know my vocals because you know I'm kind of clueless. I've been in Journey so long, I and and I love Steve Perry's voice so much that it's kind of hard not to sound like that. You know, he was my favorite singer. Steve Perry was. Of all time, but then I had Ronnie Dio, Paul Stanley, those two guys. You know, my two of my biggest favorite, you know, uh, influences as well. So, you know, it's kind of nice. I'm I'm trying to find my footing, and you know, God willing, I'll get through it, and and people will like it. And if they don't, well, at least I gave it a shot. You know, the front man. Oh, you're both. I mean, still look. a little leery about. I'm not. I am. I remember. I I texted Paul Stanley. I said, dude, 
you know, check this out. Is this all right? And he gave me some great advice. Like, you know what, man? You sing with power. You need a microphone stand or something. Because I, I feel like Ricky Bobby, dude. I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm not used to swinging <laughs> sticks. So here these hands like moving around and switching in the sway. And I'm like, that's like me playing drums. So I'm still trying to get my grounding there. Frontman thing scares the hell out of me, bro. Not my thing. It is not. Well, what's interesting about that guy, is, you know, there's two there's two videos out now from this new Revolution Saints record, uh, Changing My yeah. Mind and the title track. And I noticed it's funny you bringing that up because in in both of the videos, you are just seen singing. You're not behind a kit playing drums at all. So that must right, have been right. uh, interesting for you to do it that way. You're not even playing drums oh. in the video. Even though you're on the track, you're not seen in the video behind a kit. You're just seen as the front man. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm so, it's so out of my element, bro. I like having that fortress around me. If I'm going to sing, at least I'm covered up a little bit. I mean, front men are vulnerable. They're right in the front. I, you know, Arnell does such an amazing job. Jeff Scott, so an amazing job. Johnny, you know, all lead singers, man, it takes some moxie to pull that off. Paul Stanley, I mean, the consummate front man, in my opinion, those Steven guys Tyler. have that. Steven Tyler's a guy. Steven, Steven Tyler's, Steven Tyler's a guy that was a drummer and came out front just to front yeah. the band, but is inherently yeah. a drummer and he's one of the all time greats at it. Yeah, and he, and he pulled it off. You know, you know he's, he's yeah. a god. I'm, I'm still, again, I'm still getting my footing. And I, I think maybe if I would have done it at a younger age, it would have been, you know, or started out like that and playing drums as well. And, you know, it would have been different. But drums have always been my passion. That's what I do. That's what I love. And that's what I excel in. I mean, I, I know I can sing well. But I'm I'm a better drummer than I am a singer, in my opinion. So I'll stick to my day job, bro. <laughs> Is it you know if people have seen you with Journey, you take a few lead vocals where Arnell will step off and you will you will play drums and sing lead vocals in Journey at the same time. Is that hard to do? You know, I mean, we know there've been there's been a lot of singing dude. drummers. We know, but but is it difficult yeah. for you? It isn't, dude. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I kind of grew up doing that as a, at a young age. I mean, I, my first uh, time lead singing was, I, I was with guys, I was 11 or 12, and I had a guy, a couple guys, 23, 24, and they brought me Infinity and said, here, learn these songs and try to sing them because you haven't hit, I hadn't hit puberty, man. I could hit those notes. And so I, I freaking, I was, that's how I learned was listening to Perry, singing, but I was playing drums while I was doing it. So it's kind of like drums take an autopilot. I know where I'm supposed to be drumming wise on these songs. And, and I got to think about, okay, how am I going to, you know, get the air to hit this note and, and where do I got to breathe? And it's, it's kind of an art form. It's, it's definitely different than just being a front man, you know, cause you got to find those places. You're, 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 you got four limbs going and then your brain's going in another direction. So the drums literally take autopilot. I just, I know where that's supposed to be. And I just focus on singing. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's always uh, interesting singing drummers and their process and, how they go about doing it. You know, the other thing that I was thinking with Revolution Saints is the is with this lineup now, with uh, with Joel in there and Jeff, the the uh, the thing that I the, the one thing that fans always say about these bands, and you know, you referenced a few times uh, Serafino, Alessandro, those those people. Those are people for the audience that doesn't know with Frontiers Records, the label that puts a lot of these records out and these projects and things like that out. And one. One thing that fans always want is live shows. They just don't know, you know, if these bands will ever be able to play live. And I know it's difficult because a lot of these projects there, everybody has their main priority band that they can't get away from. But when I think about this, Dean, there's a situation here where 
With Pilsen, Foreigner has said they're going to end within the next year or so. And with Joel, Whitesnake, you know, he does TSO, but Whitesnake, you know, nobody knows if David ever really wants to go out again. So where I'm going with this is if you have windows in your journey schedule within the next year or so, there might be more of an opportunity for you guys to be able to maybe do some live shows, especially with these guys in the band now, given that their respective main acts might be going away. Is that a consideration and something you guys have talked about? Yeah, we have actually, uh, but, you know, my, my loyalty is obviously to Neil, you know, and, and cause we've been together for so damn long and uh, it's my bread and butter, but yeah, when we got breaks and Neil's, I've got Neil's blessing on it. Hell yeah. I think it'd be great for us. You know, I, I would love to, to, you know, do some festivals and, and just get our footing in Europe and stuff like that. You know, I don't know how viable we'd be in America. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, the dead daisies have gone through America a few times and, and, and shows didn't sell as well as we thought, but in Europe, man, it was great. So, you know, I think Europeans, um, they accept all types of music. There's no clicks. There, there are clicks, but they'll accept everything. They listen to everything. I remember getting sandwiched between Corn uh, and Slipknot, Journey was, and it was like, I, was, I thought we were going to get pummeled. I'd never seen that, that kind of lineup before, and it worked. It literally worked. I mean, people loved it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. That's what I love about the European audiences. They're, they're very open to every style of music, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, I, I think we should do stuff in Europe. I definitely would love to do some stuff when, when we have some time. But I know this year, man, we're gone until November, I think, Journey is. We're out, and uh, we're not coming home. I'm coming home for maybe a, a little break between the, the Toto Tour and the Def Leppard Tour, but we're gone. So, and I don't know what 2025 holds yet. So, you know, but I, I got as long as I got Neil and John and Arnell's blessing, I'll do it. You know, I'll definitely do it. You weren't in Journey when they did the run with, with uh, Leopard uh, a few years back, right? That was before no, I did you it with returned, them in 2006. Right? It was our first time with, uh, with Def Leppard. And it was a blast, man. I mean, Rick, Rick Allen, what a sweet man. The whole band, just awesome. Uh, you know, and we had a great time. And then, you know, they carried it on, you know, with a couple of the tours. Uh, with Def Leppard. So this is my, my first time back again after, you know, the 2006 run with them. So it's going to be great to see those guys. And, and, um, uh, and it's a whole, and Dean, as, as I'm sure, you know, it's going to be, it's a whole nother thing now because in 06, it was a whole different story and the melodic hard rock and things like that. were still trying to build back up again. Even Def Leppard was trying to figure it out again. The work they've put in to build to where they are is incredible. The work that journeys put in to build, I, I was at, uh, I did a big special with Joe Elliott and Neil for that tour a few years ago. And I went to the show actually in Denver, which was at the baseball stadium there. And it, it's just incredible. You know, having been in this myself 40 plus years, seeing the arc yeah. that these bands have taken and, you know, everybody got the shit knocked out of them coming off of Nirvana and all that. We know, we all know that, but some have been able to rebuild remarkably and uh, in the case of both Journey and Leopard, that that's two bands that have put the work in and uh, just building, not only reconnected with the old audience, but built a whole new audience. It's amazing to go to see both yeah. bands and see what you know what they've been able to do. And and honestly, just from watching from afar, I mean, it's it was definitely a lot of hard work and persistently going out there and and rebuilding it really. Yeah, dude, for sure. And, and honestly, this music to me is timeless. I mean, and so is Journeys. You know, so. Uh, musically, I think we're, you know, both bands are viable. I mean, it's pretty relevant still because there's not a lot of bands that, that can work like that and, and consistently sell tickets and consistently go out each year and still do really, really good business. 
Uh, and for us, I mean, I, the music speaks for itself. I mean, Def Leppard are top notch. They're freaking badasses. And, you know, we definitely hold our own as well. I mean, there's a lot of bands that, you know, that uh, try as best they can to do it. And it's just difficult for them. So I think it's a lot of it has to do with the music and the fans, man. And the Journey's fans are ridiculously loyal, really loyal. So, you know, and that, that, you know, shows in the ticket sales. I mean, every night we're selling out, you know, it's pretty dang cool. So, yeah, pretty cool, man. Very, very, very fortunate. Hey, one more quick thing, and then I'll let you run. You know, when you go back, you mentioned Bad English, which you were a part of, and that first record was pretty big and all of that. But going back even earlier than that, something I didn't know until um, just before I talked to you and I was looking some stuff up online is that you uh -huh. you were the drummer on the uh, Cacophony record with Marty Friedman and Jason Becker? Yeah, dude. I, I did, um, I did uh, Marty Friedman's uh, solo record, Dragon's Kiss which was unbelievable. I mean, that's, I really got to open up on that record and, um, and as well as C C cacophony and, and that was Mike Varney, you know, right. Mike really, he found me kind of discovered me through wild dogs, which was a, a shrapnel uh, band as well. And uh, with Jeff Mark on guitar, cause Jeff was one of the shredder guys. And um, he took me, Mike said, took me and, and uh, I remember getting married and uh, went on my honeymoon. And the, the, the day after my honeymoon, I drove down by myself and started playing with Tony McAlpine in his band and that's when Neil discovered me. So yeah, I was playing all that heavier stuff way, way, way before that. And I can remember Herbie Herbert saying, how are you gonna get a metal drummer to play pop music? It'll never work. And, and, <laughs> and he was right, I didn't know what to do, dude. I'm like, um, I play busy, I, I do all these licks and I have to learn and thank God for Neil and John. Uh, mostly Neil though, cause you know, he saw the potential and he taught me to play for the song. You know, I learned to play really in bad English and journey playing, playing rock and pop, you know, and, and playing for the song and not just ripping it to shreds every night. Cause that's what metal was. It was all about whoever got to the end of the song first one. So, you know, it was, it was just <laughs> blazing. So I learned a lot, you know, I learned a ton and I thank Mike Marty for that as well. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I, I know Mike and you know, I, I live part-time in Vegas. I have a home there now and Mike has lived there for a while. I had Mike on this show not too yeah. long ago because he's been tied to so many things over the decades and great guy. And his history is just incredible, but I'm not familiar with wild dogs. That was a early band that you had that he put out. Yeah, it was a shrapnel band. I think that was my first record I ever done. I was 16 and, and they were, um, it was like a, they, we sounded a lot like Judas Priest and Motorhead. We were that kind of a band. It was really killer. But Jeff was this ripping guitarist. He was a lot like Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. He had that, you know, the, the, the picking finger thing down and, and he was just wailing. And that's where Mike discovered him was on the, the U.S. metal records. Heard the Tonight Show, which was Jamie, Jamie St. James playing drums from uh, Black and Blue. So mm. that was his first band. You know, he was, I mean, one of the bands that he was in. And Mike found him, and they did Born to Rock on that record, and The Tonight Show, which was, that's when I joined. And uh, we started doing shows up and down the, the um, Pacific Northwest Coast. Uh, you know, we did uh, San Francisco, L.A., uh, Seattle, Portland. We would, just, we would just go up and down the coast. And uh, that's when Mike discovered me. He said, hey, why don't you come and do some records, you know, for these guitar shredders? And that's, that's how I got my start. And then I met Neil. That was it. Ah, amazing. Yeah. You should write a it's book, tough, man. Dude. You don't have to dish dirt. You could just tell your story. It's incredible. It's awesome. And, well, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm glad you came out the other side and we're still talking. You're healthy and happy, man. That's most important. Eddie, thank you, man. And thank you, bro, for, you know, 
for, for helping bands like us still stay alive, dude. You know, because we don't get airplay. We don't, you know, nobody recognizes this stuff. And you do, bro, because you're, you know, you're one of the, the soldiers of it. And thank you, bro. Thank you big time. Well, for you're welcome, man. You're welcome. It's always good to talk mm-hmm. to you, Dean. Stay healthy. And uh, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you're doing great. And I'm really psyched for uh, all the dates you have coming up this year. Hopefully I'll catch you out there at some of the shows. And again, everybody, yeah. check out the new album, uh, Fronted by Dean Castronovo on drums and lead vocals. If you love melodic hard rock, you will love Revolution Saints and this new lineup now featuring. Also, uh, Eddie, uh, Neil wants to talk to you, too. He told me to tell you that to call him because he, he'll do interviews with you as well. Oh, yeah. I love Neil, and Neil's always welcome to come on, and we're in touch. So, absolutely, we'll do something before the tour. Tell him I'll reach out to him before you guys get out there on the road. We'll make it happen. Awesome, brother. Sounds good, Ed. Thank you again, brother. Appreciate you, man. Okay. All right. Take care, Dean. Bye-bye. Well, that's a guy that's been through a lot. It was great to get some insights on that from him. Uh, That, of course, is Dean Castronovo of Journey and Revolution Saints. That album is out there right now. Give you a second interview this week. Give you a little extra time. Uh, How about we do Biff Byford? Biff called into my show a couple weeks ago from England where he lives and uh, joined me to talk about the new Saxon record and their coming U.S. tour. Here's Biff. Biff, how are you, buddy? Hey, it's good to be there. You all right, Eddie? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I know uh, you got this great new record out that I wanted to touch base with you on and uh, talk a little bit about Hellfire and Damnation. I don't know how you guys do it, man. You get older, but you still maintain all that energy and all that great classic metal. It's you show no signs of slowing down, man. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, we're like champagne, mate. You open the bottle and off we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been good writing this album. You know, the last album came out of the pandemic. This one, we got Brian Tackler in from Diamondhead, so he wrote a couple of songs with me. So, yeah, I mean, dynamically, it's, uh, you know, it's been really good, this album. We had a great lot of fun making it, and it's uh, really powerful, you know. People love it. You know, speaking of the lineup, you you are the sole original, original member of Saxon. Do you, when you look back on the history of the band, which is like, you know, 45 years or so now, I would think at this point, do you, do you, when you see all the lineup changes, the people who have come and gone, do you think that in some way has reinvigorated the band over the years? Or do you, would you have preferred if the lineup stayed more consistent the, the entire time? Yeah, I don't know. You know, things things changed. I mean, the first the first change was 1986. The second change was 1994. So we've been pretty stable till then. You know, our, our our long-term friend Paul, you know, retired sort of last year from touring and didn't want to play sort of you know heavy metal anymore. He wanted to play blues music and chill a bit. So you got to go with people's decisions. But no, I think I think where we've been, you know, over the last years it's been we've been in a good place for the last 10 15 years so i think it it's all pretty much working out really great you know when he decided to leave uh paul quinn did you try to talk him out of it or were you kind of cool with it and said you know you got to do what you got to do well he's talked about it before so i've talked him out of it a few times before but this time (laughs) he was really adamant and we said look fair enough you know you can stay in the band you can you know do some stuff for the album but as far as touring, he doesn't want to tour anymore. He doesn't want to, you know, take the long flights and sweat and, you know, groove around stage and just generally getting fed up with the whole thing. So he wanted to retire and 
didn't do his blues thing. So we said, yeah, fair enough, that's cool. We're still friends. And, uh, you know, if you want to jump up on stage with us any time, then that's cool. Did he contribute to the new album, Biff, in any way? Well, he, yeah, he played a couple of solos. He didn't, he didn't contribute to the writing because it just didn't work out. You know, we weren't, we weren't with him. We were on tour with uh, doing festivals in Europe with Brian, and that's when we wrote, the, wrote and recorded the bulk of the album. So it just didn't work out. But he did, do a, uh, he did a couple of songs, yeah. He played guitar in a couple of songs. When, when you talk about the grind of touring, and look, I, I hear this and I talk to artists every day and they all land in a different place on it, but most artists who have been doing it 40, 50 years, there is a fatigue that sets in and they'll tell you all the same thing. The hour and a half on stage, that's what they live for, but the other 22 and a half hours is what they dread. Um, and it is, like, like with Paul Quinn and others, it is the reason most of them cite for getting out of touring but you're the front guy in the band. You're the singer in the band. I mean, that takes a lot on you as well. Everyone's getting older. Where do you land on that? How do you feel? Are, do you still enjoy the touring and the travel? Yeah, I think I think it's great touring. I mean, you know, you make you make an album like this one. You know, I hope I'm damn near. It's a great album, a bit magical album. This one because you know Brian's involved with it. So yeah, we got to we go go on the road and promote it. That's that's our juice. That's our lifeblood. Write a new album, go on tour with it. So, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm in the traveling. You know, it's not so bad once you land in the country. It's the flights that are pretty long, you know what I mean? And you're sort of, you know, sitting in a little seat there for like 10, 15 hours. But it soon wears off, you know. I mean, jet lag can be quite sort of exhausting. But, you know, you have to remember once, once you're in the schedule and you're touring and you know, everything's pretty cool. Everybody loves you being there. The fans are great. You know, they've traveled a long way, paid a lot of money to see you play live. So it's all part of the vibe and all part of the juice, really. And what about as as far as being a, the singer and the front man of the group? I mean, vocally, do you feel that you're, I mean, judging from the record, your performance on the record sounds great. I've seen you live not that long ago. You still sound great. There's a lot of guys, as you know, Biff, when they get up around, uh, you know, the age you're at, give or take a few years, those cracks start to show. They seem to struggle. They don't, you know, vocally, it's not what it once was. Um, how have you been able to maintain? What's your regimen on that? And how do you feel? Uh, do you feel differently? And do you have a different warm-up or warm-down? Or do you even do that to prep your voice? No, I just sing. I'm very lucky, you know. I mean, there's a few there's a few singers, you know. I mean, Ronnie, Ronnie Dio was the same, you know. We just get up and sing, you know. We do. We don't really do any exercises. I mean, if we get the sore throat, then, you know, we have to sort of decide whether to do the show or cancel the show. That's, that's the biggest decisions you have as a singer because it's not like guitar strings, it's flesh and blood. So, But, um, you know, you, you're monitoring it all the time and you're sort of uh, keeping an eye on your throat. But I don't do any exercising or special treatments to it, you know. I just sing, really, and that's how I, uh, you know, that's how I live my life, really, just do it. It's it's amazing to me because I've had I've asked that question for 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 decades to so many different singers and it's it's amazing Biff because they all have a different answer. I know guys that will tell you that there's a 2 hour warm up, there's a 2 hour warm down, they scream yeah, into me, towels. I've heard them in the dressing rooms on festivals. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's all right if they want to do that, you know, if that works for them. 
that, that that sort of, you know, gets their voice warmed up. But pretty much with me, first song is my warm-up. And, uh, yeah, I go for it. Yeah, and you're right about Ronnie because I was very close with Ronnie and there were many times I would sit in the dressing room and I'll never forget one time I said to him, uh, you know, it was about an hour to show till showtime and I said, hey, let me let you go and get ready and get warmed up. And he said, what do you mean warmed up? And I said, well, whatever you got to do to go. He was with, with doing Sabbath at the time. I said, well, just so you can get ready. You know, I'm sure you got some. He goes, no. And he just walked out and sang Neon Nights and that was it. I was like, okay. And he's one of the great singers of all time. So it's just everybody's got their process of what works for them. Yeah. You know, if, if you need to warm your voice up, then that's fine. You know, it's an instrument when all said and done. But I've never really bothered, you know, with that, uh, all that, all that. Uh, I don't really get too uh, paranoid about my voice. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's in the lap of the gods, really. But, you know, I mean, I have a really powerful voice. It's still powerful. So I just, uh, you know, we'll just do the shows while ever it's, whatever it's working, don't fix it. That's what I'll say, you know. Who are the guys, you know, and I know maybe some of this, because you've done two albums of covers, including one last year. You did the second record of, of cover tunes. Mm. So maybe maybe some of the answer is in this. But who were your guys, Biff, as far as vocal influences, guys that you heard uh, coming up that really had a big imprint on you as far as singers? Well, I think, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the second Inspirations album, we did, a, we did an, an Animals cover. You know, the reason we did that is because as a bass player at that time, you know, in the, in the 60s, uh, I was learning to play bass guitar, and The Animals were the first record I heard, which started with bass guitar, but Eric Burden had a fantastic voice, and, uh, you know, I used to listen to his voice and think, wow, that's got so much character in that voice, you know, what, what is he doing there? So, you know, those early albums, you know, from the 60s, uh, there's some great singers in that time, you know. You've got like uh, Reed Davis and Mick Jagger and all, all those great sort of, you know. Eric Burden was probably one of the best white soul singers in the 60s, I would think. Mm. Uh, and for people who haven't checked out, Inspirations 2 came out last year and uh, some great covers on there done by Saxon. It's the sequel to the first one, so that was that was real good as well. You touched on... Uh, Brian Tatler, who is the uh, newest arrival in Saxon on guitar. And for people that don't know, Brian comes from the band Diamond Head, which is a band that didn't quite make it here in America, except they're best known because Metallica covered some of their songs, of course. But uh, tell me about the decision to bring him into the band. Did you have a long history with him? Did you go through an audition process? Or when Paul was leaving, he was just the natural guy? Yeah, basically, we... uh... We didn't really. We only had one choice. We wanted somebody from the. We wanted somebody from the eighties. You know, we didn't want to. There's nothing wrong with young guitarists, but we didn't want a young guy to come in the band and, you know, start shredding everywhere and sort of changing the dynamic of the band too much. So we asked Brian if he'd do the festivals with us, and he he was like, yeah. You know, he immediately said yes, and uh, you know, he, he, the fans loved him actually. We were quite surprised, you know. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a legend, Brian, you know, with the Metallica, especially with the Metallica. You know, they did four of his songs, uh, you know, in the early days. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's got a lot to say, Brian. He wants to write songs, and he wrote the title track, Hellfire Damnation, with me. He wrote uh, Madame Guillotine off the new album. So, you know, he's, he's, 
you know, he's in the band big time now. He's part of the writing team. So, um, yeah, it, just, it was the first choice, you know. I mean, we did, we did, ask, uh, we did ask Phil Campbell, uh, you know, ex-mortar red guy, but he was too busy with his sons playing. So, uh, but Brian was the first choice, and uh, it done great. You know, we did, we did all the festivals with him, tours of South America last year, and, yeah, the fans love him, really. Did uh, did Saxon and Diamond Head, I mean, I, I talked to the audience a little bit before you came on the air with me. We were talking about the legendary new wave of British heavy metal in the early 80s where all of these bands, Saxon included, kind of broke out of. Some did better than others, of course. But did Saxon and Diamond Head do a lot together back in the early days? No, we didn't do a lot together. There's different management, different record company. We did play together. I think we played one of the old... Uh, one of the early uh, Monsters of Rock festivals in uh, in England back in the day, about 82, 83 maybe. But we didn't really play together much. We knew each other. You know, we'd talk in the dressing rooms and the, and the catering areas and we'd meet each other on, on the motorway services, you know. But we didn't really tour together much. Uh, but we knew them and they knew us, obviously. But the, the thing is, they missed the boat a little bit, Diamond Head. They, they didn't get signed until 1982, by the time it was 1982, I mean, Maiden, Saxon, Def Leppard, Motorhead, Priest were all like pretty much uh, happening by then. So unfortunately, they missed the show. So I think a lot of people know Brian and Diamond from the Metallica connection. I mean, Brian did tell me that the first show Metallica did, as you know, was with the Whiskey of Go-Go with Saxon back in 1982. He told me they played... They played four Diamondhead songs at that show, which is really weird. <laughs> so the bill was Saxon Metallica. Yeah, on uh, that was the bill at the at the whiskey with you guys headlining. It was yeah, they were headlining. I think it was only Metallica's second show. Did you so, did you watch them or were you not there when they played? Watching them, yeah, from the top of the stairs, you know, yeah, they were pretty good. You know, it's a young young new band, really from. America, you know, the second now we had a rat uh, supporting us, so it was a bit, it was a bit of a crazy time, you know. But when you saw Metallica, because I, because I saw Metallica very early on too. I saw them when Mustaine was in the band, and I was actually one of the first people to actually play Metallica on the radio because they start the the first record came out the first year I started in radio. And I tell people all the time, you know, I grew up listening to Kiss and Van Halen and all this stuff, and I. People are always like, oh, my gosh, you were there in the early days of Metallica. Did you, like, say you you knew you were hearing something that was going to be huge? And I'm being honest. I was like, no, I didn't know what I was hearing because, to me, it was well, very you, extreme you and know, fast. You, I didn't know what to make of it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's the fans. It's the fans, really, you know, that more and more and more and more people hear it on radio and by the record, and then it builds and builds. I mean, Brown told, told a great story that I didn't know. That Lars went to England uh, to see Saxon and Damonhead, and he didn't have anywhere to stay. And Brian put him up on his uh, on his sofa in the front room. Uh, so you know, I didn't know that story. That's a new story that I've just heard. But uh, that's pretty crazy, you know, Lars uh, sleeping in uh, Brian's living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. We're there. To show how nice Brian is, you know, giving some young dude from America a, a bed on his sofa, you know. Right, and now he's reaping the the rewards of Metallica covering 
uh, those Diamond Head songs, probably the, the publishing on that's probably making him more money than he ever made in all his years of playing in a band, I'm sure. Right. He doesn't really talk about that, but I'm sure. You know, we, <laughs> we keep hinting on the fact that he must be pretty well off. But the thing is with Brian, it's all about music, you know. He just loves being in, in Saxon because we can tour the world on a higher level and he gets to play songs. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just see, you know, the new album's selling really well. Uh, you know, hopefully it'll sell more in America. We can get some new fans involved with the band and join the family. That would be great. Yeah, well, that's what it's about, still turning new people on to what you're doing. And the thing about what Saxon is doing, and I can honestly say this, having heard the new record, is it is on par with the classic records, you know, whether it's denim and leather or whatever record you may have grown up with, uh, Strong Arm of the Law, whatever it is. This, to me, what I'm hearing is very much on par with that. A lot of the bands that have been around as long as you guys have, the like I said at the top of the interview, the, the energy, the power's not there, but clearly that has not left you guys after all these decades. And, you know, I, I think it's it's remarkable, whether it's, uh, you know, the new blood coming in or the old blood that's been there or the mix of the two. I, I don't know how it works, but it's great it's just, that it's still it's working. just wanting to write great songs and release a great album because it's like Lemmy said, everybody's waiting for you to fall you get older so you know I, i'm a big big believer in you know just give it everything 100 percent. and uh, you know this we've created a monster with this album and uh, you know i hope it uh, lives on it'd be great who produced it biff uh, me and andy sneak produced it uh so together yeah so you know he's uh, he was flipping backwards and forwards to judas priest on their new album so we did the albums together really uh, Usman Priest, or uh, you know, we both released released albums this year. I mean, theirs comes out in March. So yeah, right. it's the you know we're touring together with Priest and Uriah Heep in March, and then we bring the tour to America. But um, yeah, it's a battle of the albums. Going to be great. Yeah, and what I've heard of the Priest record, the three songs they put out so far sound outstanding as well. So that's a band that's toyed with retirement now for like ten, fifteen years, but. They've uh, to for to my ears they've got a really powerful uh, great new record coming. The last one was real good as well. So and they've been at it longer than you guys have. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite as good as ours already, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, yes, as a, well, as a guy yeah, promoting a new good. record, that's what you should say, Biff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, the tour, the you. dates you're doing, yeah, the dates you're doing. It's a great album. The dates you're doing with Priest, those are only in Europe, right? That's not here in America, is yeah. it? Yeah, they're only in Europe. I think, I think, I think they cancelled some shows, didn't they? Uh, was it last year or the year before? And Sabaton were uh, supporting them. So I think they're touring with Sabaton because I think they owed them some shows. But uh, no, we're going out with Uri Heap, so it's sort of half of that package. But uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, we haven't been to America since before the pandemic. I mean, the last time we toured America was with Judas Priest, I think. So, um, so yeah, we're looking forward to it. I think we've got many more fans now there uh, from the touring we've done. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, you, the dates here in the U.S., uh, where, of course, you know, people are listening to this, are, are Saxon and Uriah Heep as the special guest. Uh, and uh, that that's also... You know, he, Uriah Heep's an interesting story, too, because here in America, uh, you know way back in the day, maybe a moment, but they're not a, a, an extraordinarily well-known band here. So in a lot of ways, uh, they're a band that is actually, I think, trying to kind of, even after all these decades, like like you just said, bring some new people to the table. 
Yeah, definitely, man. You're right. You've been growing. I think was that first album was it '69 or something? Or yeah, '70. Very early. That very, very heavy and very humble. That was a big influence on on the guys and sets and that. I used to. I love those uh, early albums. I love your right heap anyway. But those early albums were like absolute metal albums. So yeah, I mean it'd be great. It's a different generation of fans maybe. Uh, in Europe, but uh, in America, yeah, it'd be great. I mean, it's a great legacy of music, isn't it? All that time, people, it's definitely a great package. People check it out. Yeah, no, I think it's cool that they're coming over because my point was that way, way back in the day, they had a little bit of a hit in America with Easy Living, but that was about it. <laughs> but I know they're much, much more highly regarded in uh, in Europe and other parts of the world. And actually, I just saw a documentary on Lee Kerslake, which was fantastic, that's out there right now. Uh, and I, yeah. I met, had a chance to meet Lee just before he passed away. And wonderful, wonderful guy. He was a big part of that band's history. So maybe there's some, uh, hopefully, some increased interest in seeing them in America and them coming over with uh, with you guys should be a great package. Yeah, it, it's a good package. People can see that legacy of music. And you know, I was a big jo- uh, Byron fan. You know, he was a great singer. Obviously, he died as well, but uh, quite quite early. But I thought for old Uri Heap, uh, you know, that quite quite sort of symphonic harmonies they used to have, a little bit like Queen, but heavy metal, uh, was fantastic. Really unique at the time. I loved it. Yeah. Hey, one last thing, and I'll let you go on the new album. Again, the new Saxon album is out now. It's called Hellfire and Damnation. I got to tell yeah. you, the video for that song is killer. Um, it's And it's one of the more, you know, most of the videos you see aren't quite that elaborate these days. It looks like you guys really put a lot into that with the images and the graphics and all of that and the way it's shot. Uh, tell me about that video. Uh, Hellfire Damnation, you mean? Or do you mean yeah. uh, Roswell? Hellfire no, Hellfire Damnation. Di- well, well, both, but Hellfire is the one I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, we shot that We shot that in an old... Uh, in an old cathedral, you know, an old, big old church that's been decommissioned, and they do concerts in there now. So we shot the film there, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great, all that sort of... I mean, the song's about the fight between good and evil, basically, from the prophecy. Obviously, we've got Brian Blessed, the actor, doing the beginning. But it's based on good and evil, and, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of fucking... Oh, sorry, swearing. I no, you can say that. Bands, it's Okay. I hear a lot of bands, you know, singing songs about devils and demons and, you know, all this. I just thought it'd be nice to do a song about the good and evil. But, um, yeah, it just worked out really well. And we shot it in a religious setting, you know, in an old cathedral, lots of fire, lots of flames. I really like the way the video turned out. Yeah, it's really good. And what about, and you wanted to say, and what about Roswell? Roswell, well, Roswell... Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Roswell believer. You know, <laughs> I think something happened in Roswell, and uh, we got the the people that did the video uh, generated these uh, images of UFOs, and uh, I, I, they didn't. They sort of made the images. They sort of uh, I don't know how they did it, but um, it, they looked really authentic. You know, when I saw the video, I was like, you know, the the first. Uh, the first edits were all like, whoa, that looks really cool. You know, so, yeah, it's great. Do you, uh, when you say you're a believer in what happened in Roswell, so have you do, Have you personally seen a UFO? Uh, I think we saw one in San Diego in 1982, I think. 
uh, there was something hovering over one of the buildings, the bright light. I mean, I couldn't swear to it, but I've always been interested in that sort of thing, you know, is there, isn't there? It's a great, it's a great story. It's a great, I mean, I'm not fanatical about it, but I do actually think there was something in Roswell, actually. Well, you you know, it's I don't know how closely you followed it, but here in the U.S., there's actually been these Senate hearings and stuff where they've actually had uh, people yeah, on the record. I mean, that's after, we, after we wrote the song, I was like, "Whoa, that's really strange." You know, here I am writing a song about Roswell, and there, there they are talking about Roswell. I mean, all that Area 51 group from Roswell. I mean, Roswell is ground zero, isn't it, for? UFO uh, hunters and enthusiasts really only started from Roswell, really. So yeah, it's it's a great subject. It's interesting, and it, you know why not? There's something in Roswell. I'm a believer. Yeah, it's it's I I'm uh, I have a second home in in Las Vegas, and I'm uh, that's where I am right now talking to you. And uh, the, I've never been to Area 51, but it's it's uh, it's definitely a big you know an interesting um, tourist sort of thing around this area. But I, I was, I'm amazed uh, that how little coverage the the Senate hearings got because there was one point where the guy speaking on the record under oath said that they basically admitted that they had an, a, a a body of a life form that was not human. <laughs> like that, that should kind of be on the front page of the paper. Yeah, you, you'd, <laughs> you'd think that somebody would notice that, wouldn't you? I mean, somebody, somebody else told me that, and uh, I was thinking, well, there you go, then. There's another conspiracy theory straight away. You know, why, why didn't the press uh, report on that? Because actually, if they've got uh, an alien body, that's absolutely front page news around the planet, isn't it, really? Right, you'd so, think. <laughs> you know. I mean, this wasn't, some, this wasn't some guy like they found on the side of the street. This was like a guy in the Senate or something under oath testifying. I was like... Wait yeah. a minute! How is that getting brushed under the rug? <laughs> yeah, and it was sort of like you know, and uh, it wasn't—it definitely wasn't humanoid. It's like, right. what did he just say? And then right. they're just like, nobody asked him any more questions. They're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Next, yeah. You know. I mean, I, 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 uh, I'm not overly into it either, but I have always believed that I think it would be. Oh, I know, selfish or ridiculous to think that we were the we're the only life forms in in the universe. But I, yeah, I've never gotten. I mean, my my biggest interest in UFO up to that point had been the band, which is one of my favorite bands in the yeah, world. I know that. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but yeah, we're good if they were all aliens, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. It's once you open that uh, kind of worms, you know, it's like I mean. I just wrote this song because I just thought that's a great story, you know, the Roswell crash, 1947. Was it a weather balloon? Was it not a weather balloon? Or, you know, they've got these bits of metal photographed, these bits of metal with, with, you know, mathematical symbols on and things, and then suddenly it's a weather balloon and nobody talks about it anymore. And uh, you've got all these people like, looking into it and going down there. It's crazy, really. So it's it's interesting to sing about. And, uh, yeah, I think... I think uh, they did a survey, didn't they? I read in one of the uh, magazines, they did a survey in America, they did a survey of 5,000 people, and they asked them three or four different questions, but one of them was, do you think there was anything in Roswell? Do you think it was an alien that crashed? And I think it was like 85% said, yeah. So, you know. Mm. 
that's that's what it is. You know, people are interested. Yeah, they're more yeah. interested in why they're not being told the truth. I think that's the that's the thing with conspiracy theory. Why, you know, some guy at the Senate hearing says, "Yeah, we've got an alien body." Why isn't anybody reacting to that? <laughs> right. Right. You'd think you'd think that would be uh, pretty yeah. front and center. Well, yeah, for sure. Watchers, okay, what time's lunch? You know. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, listen. Uh, you know the song. The song uh, hits uh, uh, hits a sort of uh, a point, really. Yeah. Right. Was there anything in Roswell, or wasn't there? And if there was something in Roswell, has there been something all these years since Roswell? We just don't know, do we? No, we don't. Well, listen, man, it's always great to uh, spend some time talking with you. Congratulations on the record. Again, it's out now, the new album from Saxon, Hell, Fire, and Damnation. Sounding incredible. Uh, Brian Tatler of Diamond Head, the newest member of the band, coming in on guitar, bringing a lot to the table as well. And uh, Saxon is playing here in America. Pretty extensive run of dates. Uriah Heap opening, so be sure to look at your local listings, wherever you're listening, and go see uh, one of the truly great British metal bands, Saxon, coming back to the U.S. very, very soon. Biff, we'll see you when you get to the States. Safe travels, and uh, great to talk to you as always. Congrats on the record. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for playing the record, and a big hello to everybody over there. And check out the new album. We're coming in April, so yeah, it's going to be great. Talk to you soon, Biff. Thanks. Yeah, talk to you soon, Andy. Thank you very much, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that guy is certainly a rock and roll warrior. He's been at it for about 45 years now. The sole original member remaining from the band Saxon, lead singer Biff Byford. New studio album out, real good. Concert dates are coming. Thanks to him for joining me, and thanks earlier in the podcast to Dean Castronovo of Journey for joining me. Be sure to listen every day. Sirius XM Faction Talk 103. Everything you hear on the podcast came from there. Join me 3 to 5 Eastern Time live on 103 or listen to full shows anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. EddieTrunk.com is the website, at EddieTrunk on social media. And again, I hope to see you this Friday in Norco, California at Rockstars of Tomorrow. We'll get started at 6 p.m. there. And this coming Saturday at the Gas Lamp in Long Beach, California, we'll get started at around 7 p.m. there for my next speaking Q&A shows. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope to catch you on the radio or back here next Thursday for another episode.